Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Internet Marketing. to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing, and today I'm joined by Jeff Goldenberg, Head of Growth at Borrowell, Marketing Consultant and author of The Growth Hacker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Andy. How are you doing today? I'm extremely well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always good to have an author on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I love, I love to do it. So um, tell us a bit about yourself then. Okay. Um, I live in Toronto, Canada. Um, so big shout out to any of your Canadian listeners. I've been sort of on the front lines of startup founding for the last 15 years. I've, I've probably founded, advised, invested, worked on uh, three or four dozen startups in that amount of time. So mm. I've spent a lot of time in the trenches of, of startup warfare and startup marketing. And currently, I am at a company called Borrowell, which is um, a marketplace lending platform in Canada. Um, you guys have some in the UK. Your marketplace lending ecosystem there is, is much more developed than in Canada. Mm. But we're one of a small handful of online algorithmic banking lending websites where we have an algorithm that instantly adjudicates loan decisions and um, gives out personal loans to Canadian borrowers with high credit. And um, it's been uh, I've been here for about four months and it's it's been um, a, a wild ride to say the least now this book that you've written the growth hackers guide to the galaxy i love the title by the way growth hackers guide to the galaxy it's fantastic thank you tell us a little bit about how that came about sure yeah the story is actually um, um quite interesting um for a long time i had thought that i wanted to write a book on growth hacking but i wanted it to target um basically digital marketers who didn't think that they could become growth hackers because they weren't coders and as I started to teach myself growth hacking, I realized that you really don't need coding skills to still do some amazing, efficient, profitable you know, marketing tactics using mm. some of the growth hacking thinking. Yeah. So as I was thinking about sort of what my, what my angle on this book was going to be, I saw this blog post and it was 35,000 words. It was called The Ultimate Growth Hacking Source Book. And it was by a guy named Mark Hayes mm. at a company called Tiger Tiger. Oh, sorry, now called Rocket Ship. And it was an amazing piece. And I 
I emailed him right away and I was like, Hey, I live in Canada. Um, this is amazing. What was your intention for writing this? And he said, you know, he wanted to spread the word about his growth hacking agency. So the, the source book was targeted towards SaaS marketers and was very specific for them and based on a marketing model that SaaS marketers follow. And I asked him if he would be interested in turning it into a more general digital and startup marketer guide. And we agreed to do it and we, we put a plan together on how we we're going to put this book together and what it would look like and how it would be different from the original source book. And lo and behold, a couple of sort of the big influencers in, in North American growth marketing saw the post and, and tweeted it and put it in their newsletters. And before we knew it we had 50,000 views of the of the blog post oh, wow. which we certainly weren't expecting and really really positive feedback and people asking for more and it was really um, empowering to know that we were sort of on the right track at that point yeah now you mentioned SaaS SAAS of course which is software as a service I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there are, I mean, I'll come on to like stories that you've learned in a second, but that soft, selling software as a service, that must have its own unique challenges, I would have thought. It has some, um, some unique challenges, but also some unique opportunities. Because mm. your revenue is recurring on a monthly basis, every um, user or customer you acquire is going to be good for multiple purchases, not just one purchase. Yes. And basically, when, when growth marketers try to figure out how much they can afford to spend on a new customer, they figure out how much money they stand to profit for this customer over the lifetime of the customer. And then as a rule of thumb, and everyone uses a different rule of thumb, but I use that I, the most I'd be willing to spend is one-third of the profit I would make from that customer over the life of the product. Yeah. So if I sell a one-time $20 profit and I make $10 off it, I really want to acquire that customer for $3.33, a third of the 10 that I would make. If I'm gonna make 80 off the same customer because I know that customer is gonna be around for four months at 20, and I'm gonna then make 40, I can yeah. afford to spend you know, $13. So the, they have, as they grow, their revenue grows really quickly, which gives them the opportunity to add fuel to the fire and grow really quickly. And as a result, they've sort of been at the leading edge of predominantly business-to-business -business marketing techniques and saying, okay, business-to-consumer, you guys had your your fun in the sun on the internet. It's B2B's time now to innovate. And these SaaS marketers have really been on the forefront of innovating in marketing technology and automation. And as a result, even though at Borowell it's a business-to-consumer um, offering, I'm still looking towards the SaaS guys to see what they're doing for ideas on how yeah. I can take their, their tools and apply it to my challenges. So I'm guessing uh, you, have, you interviewed a lot of uh, founders when you were sort of researching the book. What are some of the things that you've learned? Well, this was an amazing um, turn of events in the book. The book is 101 growth hacks, so almost like a recipe book that are sorted by um, the stage of your company. So mm. um, from, from early product market fit to experimenting and figuring out where your growth is going to come from to scaling the growth once it happens. And we decided we also wanted to do case studies and, and sort of teach like how some of the best companies have done it with like really good data and transparency. And, and the plan was originally to do secondary research and just to research these companies and what's available on the internet and put it together. And then I realized, well, dummy, that's a, like a really good opportunity to leverage the 50,000 views and reach out to these people and get to talk to them directly. So I started reaching out to CMOs and founders of companies that have gone through the biggest growth curves like in the last 10 years. And surprisingly, mm. a whole bunch of them were like, yeah, let's talk. Yeah. So, um, I got to interview some amazing people and hear not just what they were saying, but how they were saying it. And uh, it was really, really interesting. And I think the reason the book is going to shine, I think the growth hacks are really cool, but I think these stories are really what's going to 
set it apart. And, and you know, these are these are some of the companies that have billion dollar valuations. They're like the unicorn. So like hearing back to when there was three of them around a kitchen table was just pretty pretty mm. spectacular. What would you say uh, from your experience there would be the top three stories or techniques that stuck in your mind that these people use for their online marketing? Yeah, it's a very, very good question because one of the things I was looking at were the trends that popped up amongst them because everyone has a very specific challenge. Selling clothing is different than selling um, marketing automation software. And yeah. you know, I, I use those examples because we interviewed um, the founder of Frank and Oak, which is a humongously popular uh, online clothing brand, now offline as well, and uh, Rob Walling, who's the CEO of Drip Marketing Automation. So the the challenges they were going to be facing were very different, and I wanted to see what some of the ties that bind them together were. And I did notice some trends, and I'll, I'll see if I can remember three. The first thing that I thought was amazing was this concept of having a really simple value proposition and getting testing it in the market. So mm. let me give you a couple examples. Rob Walling at Drip had a value proposition um, that I think is amazing. He, his value proposition is lightweight marketing automation that doesn't suck. And the reason why I think that's interesting is because a lot of people want lightweight because the heavyweight is like overkill for their chore yep. or their task. But every time they they get you know they feel they get cheated because every time they try a lightweight one it sucks. Mm. So the concept of marketing lightweight marketing automation that doesn't suck was really compelling. And you know he got that in front of marketers that he thought you know would be overwhelmed by the big guys but need more than than you know they could do on their own or the crappy ones would provide. And all of a sudden like the response was instant. Like they were putting up their hands saying, yes, I'm interested in learning about lightweight marketing automation that doesn't suck. Um, Ethan at Frank and Oak did the same thing. He, he um, had this e-commerce model to sell um, like subscription clothing to men who didn't want to shop. Mm. And his, his like short value proposition was premium threads for under $50. And when he put that on Facebook in, in these like fashionista Facebook groups and groups of like, you know, hipsters and, and people who are busy but care about their appearance, like they were like, you know, he signed up 10,000 people in his pre-marketing campaign and had them like clawing over each other to try to get in quicker. And I mean, that's the kind of launch I want. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. awesome. So what I realized was this value proposition test is really important. And ultimately, what it tests is product market fit. It's an empirical test for product market fit. For product market fit, you need to know exactly what the customer wants. You need to offer it to them. And they need to say, yes, I want it. It fits my need. And by coming up with a really short value proposition and putting it in front of the right target market, you validate that you have something that they want. And mm. it becomes much easier at that point. We hear a lot, don't we, these days about um, measuring and sort of feedback from your ad campaign. Did you um, come across much of that in your interviews? I did, and that was a real eye-opener. I'll give you an example that, that was shocking to me. So I interviewed the chief marketing officer of Shopify, um, which yeah. is a humongous e-commerce platform based in Canada also. Yeah. So we're, we're very proud of them. We don't have a ton of billion-dollar valuation software companies, so we're all very proud of Shopify. Um, anyway, I interviewed their CMO, Craig Miller, who was a very early hire at Shopify, and he applied as an engineer. He applied to be an engineer, and at some point in this interview process, and you'll read about it, the story in the book, they said, you know, we don't want you as an engineer. We want, want you as a marketer, and he wasn't exactly sure why they wanted him as a marketer, and it turns out that their their philosophy, their strategy was to almost treat marketing like like engineering and to take a data-centric approach where you know, creative and, and all those other things are really important, but it's the data that's going to 
to speak. And as a result, you know, he grew Shopify into the, the behemoth platform it is. They pretty much cornered the market on um, sort of that niche of, of, of e-commerce. And he talks a lot in the case about how to know what to measure and to make sure you're measuring the, the, the right things. Yeah. Because I work with tons of startups, and this is what I typically see, and it's really frustrating. They know they got to get more data-centric about their marketing. They jump into analytics. They get so overwhelmed by what they see. They close the page and they, they, they vow never to go back because there's so much data and they don't know what to do with it. And really all you need to do is you need to put some thought into what are the two or three things that you're going to watch like a hawk. Yeah. Forget all the other noise. There's probably other good statistics that you should be measuring. but you're. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So much better to focus on the right top three and and just watch them like a hawk and pay attention to what moves them mm. than to do what most people do, which is just get totally overwhelmed and and, and try and watch it. everything. <laughs> right. So, for example, like when when an ad when our ad agency sends us like Facebook ad creative, we take a look at it and we we filter out the stuff that we think is off brand or you know that that's just you know we don't love. Mm. But then we don't know which one's going to do the best. We put them all up there and and we pay attention to three or four KPIs on the data to determine which ones are having the best result based on our definition of success. And the winning ad is not the one that catches my eye. In fact, it's always interesting to see like the ones we think are going to do the best versus the ones that do. Mm. And we just let data tell the story. And we look for anomalies. And when anomalies pop up, because they're popping up on key performance indicators that are the most important to us, uh, we just think of it as a clue and we try to chase down the reason. And it becomes a little bit simpler. I'm interested in what you actually do at Borrowell because I know you're head of growth at Borrowell, aren't you? What's your sort of, what are your roles there effectively? 
Yeah, it's kind of a funky title. Um, I run um, I run basically marketing and customer acquisition. So my job is to bring people to the website to fill out our instant application. Um, a percentage of them are going to get a loan offer from us. Mm. And then a percentage of those people are going to accept the loan offer, do the few steps that they need to to confirm their identity. And, you know, they have their loan funded remotely, you know, within a day without having to step into a bank. So it's a pretty cool service. So what I do is I, I look for channels and ways to bring the right customers to the site. So uh, a high percentage of them fill out the form and of the people that fill out the form, a high percentage of them get accepted. Mm. And it's actually quite a unique growth situation because usually in the, in the startup phase that we're at, um, which is past proof of concept, but sort of pre massive scale, you, you would typically grow as fast as you can. And you would worry about your cost per acquisition later. The, mm. the, the key goal would be to bring on as many customers as possible. But with our service, because we have a very strict algorithm that underwrites these loan decisions, a lot of the people I bring to the site, you know, fail and, and don't pass underwriting. So I can't sort of just grow blindly as quickly as possible. Yeah. So basically the best way to think of my day is I spend all my time trying to figure out how I can get the right people to the website. And the right person is usually a person with a minimum credit score. But in Canada, there are no ways to target based on credit score because of our privacy laws. Yeah. Uh, and I have to figure out what I can target as a proxy for credit score. And it makes the job very challenging, but very interesting. Extremely interesting, I would have thought. And then I also overlap, you know, the thing that makes the, the one of the differences between growth and marketing in terms of um, jobs is that I also um, sort of straddle onto the product team too. Yeah. And as we're getting all this marketing data in, I'm trying to see where our product is meeting the needs of customers and not meeting the cu- needs of customers and figuring out efficient ways to get that learning back into the product so we could really quickly adapt the product to the needs of the customers. We only have one product, but like if you look at different credit score ranges, we could have um, several different product market fit challenges. You know, like there could be segments we're servicing really well, mm. and there could be segments of, segments that we're underserving. And part of sort of growth is um, making sure that that communication path between product and marketing and data is is really clear. So I'm going to guess that you probably have um, some a variety of strategies going on at the same time to try and target. I mean, you were talking about it was difficult to target people from certain sort of credit scores because obviously that's private information. But I'm guessing you have to have a combination of strategies to try and find those people. Yeah, so you kind of have a bucket of things that seem to be working that you're trying to double down on and then a bucket of things that you have a hunch might work and you're trying to test cheaply and quickly and minimize that cycle of learning yes. because the smaller the cycle is the more experiments you can do and the way we do that is by i guess systemizing the way we experiment and constantly prioritizing what needs to be experimented with and it's worked out pretty well there you know it's challenging you know sometimes something that's performed for a long time all of a sudden stops performing and you're yeah. not exactly sure why mm. sometimes something looks like it's going to work and then as you try to scale it, it it just stops working so it's not all like peaches and cream or roses but um if you commit to the if you commit to the methodology and know that there's going to be ups and downs but there's going to be when you find something it's going to be really important and it's going to make a big difference mm. then you basically commit to the practice and you just know that sort of some of the bumps are are just part of the part of the experience the power of having a system yeah it is the power of having a system and always in the back of your head you're wondering if there's a better system or if there's a system that you should be um 
doing differently um, mm-hmm. because you're always looking to optimize and make it better. But at the same time, I mean, you know, they say that one and a half to two out of ten um, experiments will yield a statistically significant, you know, important discovery. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you could just win. Um, you you could just be on a bat. You know, it's like flipping heads or tails and having tails come up six times. You know, it's yeah. statistically uh, improbable, but very likely. You know, so yeah, I, you just it really is important to commit to the system and to the methodology and to have it set up so that the learning curve is as small as possible and you could run as many tests as possible knowing that only 15 or 20 percent will bear fruit yeah now jeff as someone that's uh, worked with a lot of startups um what would you say the most common traits in a successful startup yeah that's an interesting question and it's something i think about a lot i do work with a lot of startups we have um this big public private innovation center in Toronto called Mars and I'm an entrepreneur in residence with them. Mm. So that's a fancy way of sending, saying that when they think some of their portfolio companies could use my help, they send yeah. them over. That must be a great thing to say at parties. Oh, what do you do? Well, I'm an entrepreneur in residence. Well, between that and head of growth, no one has any idea what I do. And I'm just, <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm more the person who wants to listen at a party about what other people do than talk about what I do. Yes, so yes. that if they're confused, that actually works in my benefit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do work with a lot of startups. I do pay attention to what the common traits are. Um, I work with a Techstars Accelerator in Toronto where I'm one of the mentors and we just selected the next cohort of startups that we're going to be working with, our, our victims, we like to call them. Mm. But I, first and foremost, it's the people. So I know it's cliche and trite to say, but I think the people are more important than the business and the business model. Mm. The business and business model have to be there. But if you don't have a, the right uh, founders and team, I really don't think a, a good business model has a chance. So I tend to naturally gravitate towards the founders and teams that um, strike me as special and strike me as the kind of people that that have a chance of succeeding. And those are the people that do a lot more doing than saying. They're the people that speak to the customers as often as they can. Like if they have an opportunity to talk to a customer, um, they'll push everything else off their schedule and prioritize towards that. When they get ideas, they test them out really quickly and cheaply just to see like if there's any sign of life from them instead of just thinking about them. Mm. I think they're naturally doers. They're self-starters. Um, they're highly coachable because one of the biggest catch-22s about entrepreneurship is like you have to be really tenacious and you have to stick to your goal and you can't let anyone knock you off course. But at the same time, you have to listen to your customers and be really pivoty and move in another direction if yes. that's what the market's telling you. Yeah. And I don't know where you went to school, but to me, those are like two really conflicting pieces of advice. Yeah. And from my experience, it's only your startup intuition that gets better and better as you go through startups that helps you figure out when to pivot and when to persevere. But being responsive, coachable, like having a pricing model, but knowing it may not be the right one, it's just the best one at the time, looking out for new opportunities, new ways of thinking, like that's, that's winter material right there. Mm. So the person's really important. From there, I mean, every investor, let's say, is looking for a different criteria. What we do at the Techstars Accelerator that's really cool is we work with these companies. We call it pre-accelerator, and we only focus on two areas, customer development, so figuring out who your customers are, what segments, and talking to them, and uh, refining their pitch, which is basically you know, their story, you mm. know, why, why they're special. And when they come out of the program, they should have a much more refined version of what their product is and why it's important. So that's back to that value proposition test. Yeah. And they should have a really good idea of who their target customer is and what they need. And when you think about it back to that um, Frank and Oak and, and Drip story, I mean, basically, you could then take your value proposition because you have it, 
put it in front. I, I'm going to use this actually. Put it in front of the people because you know who they are yeah. and test for their reaction. Yeah. And if you get the reaction, you've got product market fit. And when you have product market fit, that's when investors want to talk to you. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, tell us how we can find out a little bit more about you and also where can we get the book from? For sure. So my Twitter handle, um, where I do a lot, spend, waste a lot of my time, is <laughs> at, at Jeff underscore Goldenberg. So that's under J-E-F-F underscore G-O-L-D-E-N-B-E-R-G. Yep. And the, the little website we put together for our book, which is going to get better over the next couple of months, is growthgalaxy.com. And the book's called The Growth Hacker's Guide to the Galaxy. Jeff, thank you very much indeed. And thanks to our listeners for listening. Uh, show notes are in the normal place, uh, sitevisibility.com slash podcast. Um, we're on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, please leave a review because the more reviews we get, we, we tend to appear a bit more easily in things like iTunes and we can get more listeners and help more people and, and I'll get even more famous. That's not really the, re- the real reason. Um, I am Dr. Pod. If you want to link up with me on Twitter or LinkedIn, Dr. spelled out fully, D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D. If you want to link through LinkedIn, uh, just mention the podcast so then I know who you are. If you want to contact us, the email is podcast at sitevisibility.co.uk. And we also have, have a telephone hotline, plus four four one two seven three two five six one five zero. Right, it's put my teeth back in um and that telephone number that telephone number rings to andy's cell phone 24 7 it does so if you have any questions please just <laughs> do call him directly at any hour of the night yeah in fact it stores them all up and then makes them ring my phone at about three in the morning so that's that's definitely the number to ring awesome <laughs> so that's all from me andy and it's all from jeff thank you very much it's a pleasure talking with you today and uh, if any of your listeners have any questions please reach out to me on twitter i'd love to chat And we'll see you again next time on Internet Marketing.